Good morning, everyone. Glad that you are here today. And my name is Dennis Stewart. And the subject we're going to be talking about here today is understanding our relationships. Understanding our relationships. I don't know if you've ever done this, but <clears throat> I think that I changed the title of this lesson two or three times before I landed on on this one. And uh, my study would take me off in a particular direction. I said, well, that title doesn't work anymore, so I changed the title. And, uh, and we finally arrived at understanding our relationships. And Peter is, is teaching in, in today's lesson, and he's doing a, a very, very good job of, of telling us what our relationships are. He establishes, first of all, um, what we should be in chapter 1 of 1 Peter. And there toward the end, uh, he's concluding this teaching, and it's on the importance of Christians actually living the testimony that they are proclaiming. Imagine that. God wants us to actually live what we proclaim. And he's telling us of the importance of that in chapter 1. And we are to realize from, from that chapter that our lives must be a process of changing our minds. Our minds are at enmity with God, and you know this from previous teachings. And so our lifetime learning accomplishment must therefore be the changing of our minds. And it's going to be the changing of our minds because of the changing of our spirits. When we accept Christ as our Savior, and we are spirit-filled, or we have that seed of the Holy Spirit, whatever position that we are in God, <clears throat> we know at that time, and even before that time, because he places that within us at birth, but we know that we need to be living in a different way. And so our, our learning process through our lives, the rest of our lives, is the changing of our minds and our manner of living, the changing of our manner of living. Those two things Peter made very, very clear in chapter 1. And uh, this is a, a must now that we have proclaimed Christ as our Savior. Just a snippet from chapter 1, 1 Peter 1, 16 through 22, as a foundation for what he's going to do in chapter 2 that we're studying. Verse 16, but it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as you know that ye are not redeemed of, with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifested in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God, seeing you have purified 
your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfade love of the brethren. See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. That's sort of the a taste of what he was trying to get us to understand in chapter 1. Now he's moving to chapter 2. And in verse 1 of chapter 2, he's beginning to talk to us about spiritual growth and worship. And what he wants us to understand is that our manner of living is also a form of worship. We worship God by song. We worship him in prayer. We lift our hands. We have what we know as worship. But our manner of living is also a form of worship to God because we're living with respect to the one who has changed our lives. And that is a form of worship as well. And so he lists five things, five things that will stop spiritual growth. First of all, stop these five things, and then we can go from there, okay, is his format here. When you have stopped these things, call me. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> because they can be stopped. They can. Until tomorrow. They need to be stopped every day. It's, it comes back on you. you if you don't work at it all the time. And here they are. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. Let's look at those. Malice. Okay. Malice is badness. Wickedness. Evil or wickedness. Okay. Being wicked. Just lay that aside. Guile. Dolos. Guile is deceitfulness, craftiness. It's a bait and snare sort of thing, trapping the other person, tricking them into what you want them to do or not do. It's a bait, it's a trap that you set for other people and with ill intentions. That's guile. Hypocrisies, hypocrisis, evil acting or pretense in a response. Oh, yeah, well, what about what you did? Well, what about you? Never mind about me. What about you? It's a response that's evil. A response that is an attack as much as it is a response. Um, envies. Thanos. The feeling of displeasure produced by witnessing or hearing of the advantage or prosperity of others. The jealousy of somebody having more, having something we don't have. I pay my tithes. Why does he have that and I don't? I need one of those. Why did he get it? How can he afford it? Look how he lives. It's a uh, envying of what someone else has been given or what they have or a blessing that they have received, even a blessing from the Lord. being jealous of that. The desire to have the same thing or the same sort of thing for oneself. We're all too often instead of the other person. That should be mine, not his. It should be mine. It's envies. I was studying this out and <clears throat> I thought about those the words of that song from the famous gospel songwriter Roger Miller 
said, I, I hear tell you're doing well. Good things have come to you. You remember that song? I wish I had your good luck charm. You had a do, I could 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 do. Take it, Tam, second verse. Yeah, you're driving down the street in a big Cadillac. You got girls in the front, got girls in the back. Anyway, it goes on from there. Yeah. <laughs> but the whole song was about this very thing, jealousy of what someone else had and wanting to have it instead of the other person. That's envyings. Then last, or fifth, he says, all evil speakings. This is backbiting, blasphemy. Blasphemy covers so many things, but one of them appropriate here is speaking contemptuably, contemptuously, with contempt, <laughs> of, of God or his sacred things to rail or revile. When we are envious of what someone else has been blessed with, that's blasphemy. That is a blaspheme of something holy that God has blessed someone else with. Wow. Blasphemy. And so he says, get rid of these things. And the very next thing he says leads us to verse 2. Number 2, how to grow spiritually. Now he's ready to talk about that. He's talked about how we live our testimony, how we change our minds and our manner of living, how we get rid of those things that stop our spiritual growth. Now let's begin to talk about how to have or how to um, grow spiritually. Verse 2 says, As newborn babes, Desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. As newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. Well, Peter's calling on all of us for a more continuing growth. He uses this word sincere in verse 2, which means guileless, without guile. Uh, not deceitful or unadulterated. This pure milk that he's talking about is not mixed or diluted with any different or extra elements. It is complete. It's absolute. It is pure. There's been no inferior substance, substances added. It's God's pure milk of word of the word. And and um, man somehow gets his teaching in the middle of that, messes it up, doesn't he? You may not find this in the Bible, but this is good advice, and let me tell you about it. All of a sudden, I want to go click. <laughs> Turn them off right there. Yes? Well, when you, when you speak about it, it makes me think about I mean, just people who have, people who have agendas. And you, you did describe guile as having evil intent, but sometimes I just think it means not following the exact purity of what God's saying, his agenda, his aim. Because you have preachers who don't have evil intent, but they want to grow a church. So they, they teach in a manner that will grow a church. Or they do things that 
they're not a pure aim. They don't have a pure purpose behind them. Yes. They're about fulfilling them, maybe their own agenda. Of They think they're doing a good thing. I'm going to build this church. The more people I get in here, the better, right? I mean, they're saved, right? But that's not really yes. scalous. And, and it is my intention to show along those lines. Thank you that when we are not learning the pure milk of the word then we can teach or preach just like that one of the things that leads to that there is a contention uh, out there that talks about how Paul and Peter disagreed what did Paul say about milk yeah forget the milk go after the, the meat Peter's saying, desire the pure milk. Why can't these two get along? We're going to see how one really contributes to the other uh, in the next couple of minutes. Um, Paul tells us to mature from the milk to the meat uh, in our growth. But Peter does not compete, compete or contradict what Paul is teaching. Let's look at that. In Hebrews 5, verse 12 through 14. For when the time, uh, or when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For every one that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe, but strong meat belongeth to them that are full of age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And that contradicts Peter is what they say. No, it doesn't. Let's look at it deeper. The point Peter is making here is that sincere milk or the purity of the milk, as Stacy was talking about, uh, of the word is unadulterated. It's unchanged in any way. And the milk that has not been mixed in with harmful things that could hurt the child of God. So if any of us are attempting to learn the word of God and we're not desiring the pure milk, we will grow into those kind of an adults that, that will take someone else off course. We cannot really obtain the proper meat of the word if the milk of the word is not pure. Does that make sense? We have to start there. And it's not just a starting place. It is always. You, you can't start from a bad position and reach a good position. You start from the right foundation of the pure milk of the word, and then you go deeper, and you get into the milk, or the meat, excuse me. The point Peter's making here is that sincere milk or purity of the word, unadulterated, unchanged in any way, the milk has not been mixed in with harmful things that can hurt the child of God. Paul, on the other hand, was contrasting spiritual learning with the deeper understandings of God's word. We should retain our craving for the pure milk of the word and not go off following false teachers. And if we do that, we will recognize the false teacher. How did I get persuaded to go the wrong way? People would ask themselves, well, because you weren't desiring the pure milk of the word. 
harsh answer, but that's the basics of it. I was listening to what I wanted to hear. I had itching ears. I wasn't listening with the intent of, of becoming more righteous. I was listening, hoping to hear something that I would want to hear about how good I was or could be. Hmm. Happens every day. Churches across Dallas. It's happening this morning. Um, our world today is filled with those in places of leadership who are making dangerous alterations to God's word. Ast was uh, referring to this a few times now in the previous weeks. They're changing the meanings of God's words in their dogma, in their tenets of faith to secure their positions. They want to avoid people live, leaving, as Stacy was saying. They, they, they no longer contribute uh, the pure milk of the word because they don't want those high-paying tithers or givers to go somewhere else. Another and, way and I feel like is when you any individual can go off course if they don't align their their aims with that. I mean, you know, they can be given the pure word. They can be in a higher place of seeking righteousness and being strong because they're discerning good and evil and they're, they're actually operating at that higher level. But at any point, if your own guile, your own guile can trip you up because you, you really do try to interpret the word to suit what your aim is. Yes. Even if it's not, you know, it's not necessarily that you have to have a big church or whatever else. There can be anything that you don't want to hear what God is saying because you're wanting a particular path. So you shut off what you what God is trying to lead you to do or maybe to give up that goal. And you continually want that goal to be fulfilled. And all of a sudden, you are in, you're going to fall for any doctrine. You're going to fall for the thing that you sure. hear that actually helps that goal to be accomplished. Sure, sure. And, and I don't know the answer to this, but I've got to believe that many, many people who are teaching this way did not in the beginning intend to be off the word. No, they all, they all think that they're doing the But here they are. And they're off the word. Yeah. And, and they're not desiring the pure milk of the word any longer. And so these things do not conflict. We, we must always desire the pure milk so that we can teach the meat of the word. So that we can have and learn the meat of the word. But first comes the pure milk of the word. The unadulterated milk of the word. Because as the ministers allow the people to live unfaithfully away from Christ that unfaithfulness and sin will eventually become their own and we see that happening all the time and we see churches gathering in committees to decide which parts of God's word will be part of their tenets and which will not that scares me to death for their sake I'm very scared about that one. God's word shall not be committed to the approval of a committee. Period. Um, it's 
Peter says to grow in the Lord because of his pure teaching through his word. And that's why he tells us to get rid of those five things, then seek the pure milk of the word, then go deeper. Be ye holy, for I am holy. 1 Peter 1.16 Eliminate the impurities of our mind, heart, and spirit by drinking in the purity of God's word. Follow God's teaching and not man's. Laying aside. That's so there in verse 1. Lay aside all of these five things. Let's talk about laying aside. Epithemi. In verse 1. It's, it's the casting away of all the contaminations of the world. It's like putting off your clothes and laying them down. Just take it off. Get rid of it. And <laughs> I kind of like to think of it as <clears throat> taking a shower. Okay. <laughs> Wash off the self-24. Let it go down the drain. Take it off. Never see it again. Down the drain and gone. Those five things. Take that off. Then seek the pure milk. Unadulterated milk of the word. Take it off. Peter's already established the fact that love is a requirement for spiritual growth. First Peter one twenty two. Let's look at that again on page one. Verse twenty two. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Very important part of growing in Christ. <coughs> we are to divest ourselves of those things which contain resentment and discourtesy toward our brothers and create within us a love for them that is pure and holy through the pure teaching of God's word. Why? Because he is holy. Next, Peter talks about what Christ is to believers. He's talked about the five things that will stop spiritual growth to get rid of those, how to grow spiritually. Now he's going to talk about what Christ is to believers what Christ is to believers. Verse 3. If so, be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. We have tasted. Every one of us, we have tasted. It means we have experienced God's graciousness through Christ Jesus. We have experience for ourselves that the Lord is gracious, Christos, good and kind. He is coming, the circumai, near to us to visit or to worship with us. As though we were living stones. Ever seen a living stone? Well, you're looking at and so am I. It's hard to know what a living stone is, but we're living stones. That's how we're described, what Christ is to believers. Well, Christ has made us living stones. We'll read more about that in a moment. In his spiritual house, his eternal church, holding important positions in eternity, 
Within this magnificent spiritual structure of saints, each having our place of importance. Ever wonder what that house might look like? Is it totally spiritual or is it just maybe there's something natural that we can't see yet. We'll see it with our spiritual eyes. Wouldn't you like to see it? This house that they talk about? This spiritual but if I'm just one brick in it maybe I'll <laughs> maybe all I'll see is from the vantage point of one brick. But I'd like to see the whole thing. Maybe we, we will someday. It's a mystery right now. But we're part of that house. We're a living stone. Um, and we're holding important positions in eternity within this magnificent structure. We are, because of this, disallowed of men. We're disapproved of. We're rejected. And yet, it is this distinction of being rejected and disapproved of, this characteristic that now makes us his chosen, his special, electos, a chosen one, a favorite one, a precious one, an intimate one, or intimos, or honorable and time value to Christ because we are now disapproved. We are more special to, go to Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 29 and 31, more about how Paul and Peter agree that no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Ephesians 2.14 For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. He broke that down. That's why we can't glory. <laughs> Christ broke that down. Point number four that Peter's making. We've just read what Christ is to believers. Now he's going to tell us what believers are to God. Among the different titles, I had fleeting moments where I was thinking about entitling this lesson, Can't Tell the Players Without a Program. <laughs> but I think I'd have a more limited audience if I did that. <laughs> Number five verse. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. We're told that there are three facts or there's three characteristics about Christians. We're being told who we are in this verse according to God that's important Peter's going to tell us who we are according to God I think that's very important let's read on who we are well number one we're three things 
Number one, we're living stones. We're part of a spiritual house. Number two, and we are an holy priesthood. Three things. Let's talk about number one. We're living stones. Living, zeo, and stones, lithos. Living stones. Meaning to live. Lively, quick, and a literal or figurative stone. Could be a stumbling stone. Something to trip over, give offense. Or a millstone, something heavy. Or heavy weight or something to grind with. Once in a while our lives seem to be a, a grind. <laughs> Okay. <clears throat> we have several important functions. We're to move about and be lively, and yet we are part of a spiritual house or a building with a certain position. Well, how can we move about and still have one position? Well, it makes me think of my own body. We have parts that move around, and we have, but they're still staying in the same position. And they coordinate with one with another. And uh, I can do this sort of thing because this one doesn't get in the way. And we coordinate. And as living stones that move around, yet have a position in a house, I can see that we move about, but we have the same position that we always had or that Christ wanted us to have in his spiritual and not be meddling in somebody else's <laughs> position, but being in our own position. We could kind of go off on a tangent there, couldn't we? <clears throat> so we're part of this spiritual house. You have your position, I have my position. The spiritual house, the We have a place within a part of a spiritual house that is only entirely known to God. What does it look like? How little is it? Is it literal at all? And yet we get glimpses of it here and there in the Word. Still somewhat of a mystery to us. Maybe it's going to be understood, and maybe it's not. Heaven will understand. We know that. Ephesians 2, 19 22. Therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens of the saints and the household of God, that are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all be my people. Therefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters. 
story, a legendary thing in history about the great walls of Sparta. And something interesting about the great walls of Sparta is that they did not exist. There were no great walls. But it was a legendary is visiting Sparta and being hosted by the king of Sparta and he asked the king um, changed mics he asked the king where are these famous walls of Sparta where are they the king of Sparta turned to his soldiers and said, These are the walls of Sparta, with every man a brick. Perhaps this better explains his spiritual house so that we can understand. I suppose we won't completely know until eternity, but it helps me to understand that I'd, I'd like to think that God allowed this sort of thing to happen as an example as something we can look at and say, ah, the men themselves were the wall. You and I are the stones in this eternal church. This church of forever, this eternal thing that Christ is building. Peter began this teaching earlier in chapter 1, and he's continued in chapter 2 with illustration, analogies about the growth of a child, a new Christian, talking about pure milk and how a child grows and so forth. Those are his analogies. He's now changing, though, to illustrations about the growth of a building. And we each have our individual parts. But we must realize, therefore, that no one is to complete their mission alone. There is no single brick. We are part of a brick home, a living stone house, a great church. To realize our total purpose in the Lord, we must also realize that we are built into the structure of the church. There's no stones scattered out in the yard somewhere. We can't do this alone. I can't and you can't. We need the church. We need to be functioning in the church. To be functioning the way that Christ intended. Then he talks about us being a holy priesthood. A holy priesthood. This I really like because we're in part of the priestly fraternity. Others of you may think of it as a sorority. But we're a priestly fraternity. Yes, and you're welcome. <laughs> I was offended for a minute. The position itself means that we are bridge builders. That's what I like. That was the original definition or a, a position. Bridge builders. Think of the Levites, the priests. They were a bridge 
between God's people and God. Peter's saying that Christ has made each of us a bridge builder. Now the methods have changed, but the purpose is the same. You and I are the bridge between God's people and God. And between unbelievers and God. You and I are bridge builders. You ever think of it that way? I like that. Bridge builders. We're priests. We're part of a holy priesthood. So the methods have changed. But not the purpose. That's who we are. Bridge builders. Hagios. Holy. Pure. Moral. Blameless. Saintly. Properly clean. Priesthood. God makes us a priesthood able to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are part of the building up or the growth of the saints spiritual house. That will exist for all eternity. Now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built up, excuse me, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom all of the building fitly joined together, framed together unto the holy temple of the Lord in whom ye also are builded together for an inhabitation of God through the Spirit. We were reading that from earlier. In addition to be part of the spiritual house or the temple, we become the builders who will offer up a spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. That's what we're supposed to do, and how do we do that with any of those five things that we're supposed to get rid of? can't be done can it? if you're looking at me and saying I can't do all that well I can't either and that's why we need a change of spirit because God can do that through us Peter talks about this in a few moments also the songs we sing <clears throat> even the way I sing them Um, our spiritual sacrifices for some more than others. <laughs> Depends on who's listening. Uh, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The teachings, the tongues, the interpretations, the gifts of revelation are all offered up to him by us who are his priests to the edifying of the body of Christ, which is the church. Everything we do for him, a spiritual sacrifice, acceptable to Christ. Acceptable to God through Christ is what I mean. Number five. Now Peter's kind of given us a, a little break, but he's going to talk about more. More about now. More about what Christ is to believers. In verse 6, Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Sion, a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, 
And he that believeth on him shall not be confounded or confused. Zion. We see that also as Zion. We refer to it as Zion. That's a hill of Jerusalem. It was here in Jerusalem that the foundation of the church was laid. Or to be laid. And Christ suffered and died for the sins of the world. Where? In Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit fell upon the church right there, Jerusalem. The first Christian revival after the death and resurrection of Christ took place right there, this hill of Sion, Jerusalem. We're told that Christ is our cornerstone in this verse. He is the strongest stone in this building we've been talking about building of his eternal church he is our elect he's our chosen one this is what uh, Christ is to each of us to believers we have chosen Christ and all that goes with this choice over what the world has to offer he is the strong and precious I like this intimate intimos precious and favorite one those who believe on Christ will not be confounded. They won't be ashamed. They won't be confused. They won't be dishonored. They won't be disgraced. We will be told that we should be ashamed of ourselves, but we won't feel that way. We won't be ashamed. We just won't be disgraced, no matter what is said to us. Number six, what Christ is to sinners. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallow, the same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient. Whereunto also they, are, they were appointed. Although Christ is precious to us, He's a stumbling stone to the sinner. He causes the sinner to dash his foot or stumble, even to fall. He causes offense to the believer. God has appointed this to be so. Imagine that. He's appointed it to be so. That the disobedient person would stumble over Christ and be led deeper into sin. Why? Because of their disobedience. History records many examples of good men and women, even Christian ministers, ministers who were once effective for Christ and went from bad to worse due to disobedience, eventually falling completely away from God. We were talking about this a little earlier, weren't we? Acts seventeen twenty nine through 31. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is likened to gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device, and the times of this ignorance God winked at. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he hath ordained. Whereof 
he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. This ignorance thing, what Christ is to the sinners. I was thinking that uh, Fabian gave an excellent account of uh, the movement of the uh, the altars <coughs> from one place to another. The Ark, of the, the Ark of the Covenant. Thank you. And what happened to the guy that put his hand up there? Tried to steady. Remember? He died instantly. Do you ever wonder why the Philistines didn't die? They had it first. They moved it all over the place. Nothing happened to them. God wasn't winking at it. I'm sure he didn't like it one bit. But he knew they were ignorant. But his his own Levite was not ignorant. Why was there a stumbling? Weren't they being careful enough? They couldn't have been going fast. You were walking just a few steps and then there's another, another ox being slain. Ignorance. I don't ever want to be the one to test that ignorance theory. <clears throat> but he can look the other way in graciousness, in forgiveness. And um, what Christ is to sinners, he is one who takes it and takes it and takes it and still reaches out in love. Still reaches out in love, no matter what they say about him, to him, no matter how they blaspheme, in ignorance. And, uh, all right, I'll move on. Let's talk about what believers are to God. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Now, a minute ago we were a holy priesthood. It doesn't mean we're not holy anymore. It means there's something else. We're, in addition to that, we're a royal priesthood. So we'll focus on that for a moment. And a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light which in times past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Royal, Basilius. From a notion of a foundation of power, like a king. Okay. Since we're a priesthood, we are pre. I need to understand we're a priesthood 
of the most powerful force there has ever been or ever will be. Powerful. Royal, it, we have inherited this thing when we accepted Christ. And now we have the power of Almighty God to be used in the proper way in this position of priesthood. Bridge building. Sovereign. Possessing supreme or ultimate power. Supreme ruler. We know from verse 5 we are spiritual bridge builders. This has got to be used in the right way, doesn't it? <laughs> this would be like a child trying to hold on to a fire hose. We, uh, we can't try to take control of this thing. This is God's power. Neither can we take credit for this thing. This is God's power. One of my saddest moments was from a person that I highly respected who reminded me of the times that he prayed and I was healed. As though he had stepped in and saved the day. It was scary to me. Politely as I could, I reminded him that he prayed and God healed. This power thing is I can't express to you how sacred this is. And how dangerous it would ever be to mistreat. By any way, To take advantage, take credit. You know what I'm talking about. So, hopefully, a word to the wise going forward. He says we're, we're a peculiar people. That means we're a purchased people. We're a specific people or grouping. Uh, not particular in dress or speech or manner of life, so you can stop looking at your neighbor. We're a, we're a particular people because we're specific. We're purchased. All of these relationships have been looked at or ordained by God and shared with us by Peter. These simply spoken truths are foundational to our beginnings in Christ. And perhaps even more importantly to every phase of our lives as Christians who know that our task is set before us to number one, grow in the Lord. And number two, to build up others. Bringing them to the help or helping to secure them into God's eternal living spiritual house because we're bridge builders. Number eight, a Christian's relationship to others. Dearly beloved, I beseech you 
as strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. And I believe that these words of Jesus were still ringing in Peter's ear, ears for many, many years after his death and resurrection when he said to Peter in Luke 22:32, Behold, or but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. I think that's what Peter's doing here. I think he's being led by the Lord to just... <laughs> here we are talking about a gener uh, centuries later. Centuries have gone by. and We're still talking about the power that's behind these words of Peter. So here it is. These 12 verses in 1 Peter 2 are some of the most simple to understand and yet some of the deepest to fully understand in the New Testament. Milk and meat, all in the same 12 verses. And Peter was not finished because the verses to follow were just full of the same sort of thing in different subjects about who we are. We won't be able to tell the players without a program. It's all there in the following verses. So this otherwise simple and rather uneducated fisherman has at the direction of the uh, uh, Holy Spirit and inspiration of the Holy Spirit given to us some of the most important understandings of who we are in Christ and what our mission in life has become having begun this most exciting journey being a servant of Christ. Amen and amen. Thank you. Does anyone have anything to add or say? I think I'd like to share a testimony and it ties in with your teaching. Um, your last page here when you talked about growing in the Lord, building others up and also strengthening the brethren. Um, you'll all appreciate this because uh, my sister lives in New Mexico, not far from my mom, and she goes to church every Sunday, and she has devotions every morning. You know, she loves the Lord. There's Bible study. But she came uh, for the 50th, and she was telling me later that uh, she so appreciated all the people and of course, she knew who you were because obviously the others were family. That was not her thing. And she said, they are so sincere. They are so kind. And uh, she shared with me how she got ready first. And uh, she just felt like she needed to just come into the sanctuary. She says, I just felt drawn. And uh, she says, I came in early. I must have been 30 minutes early. And she said, uh, the lights were off, you know. She wasn't used to that. She said, the lights were off, but I 
but I liked it. And she said, you had this beautiful praise and worship music going. And uh, she said, I just sat there on the front row. And she said, I just soaked it up. She said, I could just feel the presence of the Lord all around me. And it was just me and God. And uh, she said, uh, she, ha she wasn't well, she wasn't feeling good. And she said, uh, she said, oh, I was just sitting there on the front row and I could just feel this restoration. You know, I just felt it go pouring into me. And so I shared with her later on the telephone, this is after the fact, because they went on home. But I said, uh, well, you know, a lot of people um, have seen and envisioned during prayer the river of life, you know, flowing in the altar area. And so I talked at length about that. And I said, I think you had your, I think you had your feet in there, and I said, you know, a lot of people have walked away healed from whatever their conditions were, and um, she she was she was very pleased to hear that. You know, it was a confirmation to her. But the last thought I want to leave with all of you is, uh, she said to me, she said, you know, I feel uh, like I have really just in these few days I've been here that I have grown in the Lord. She says I feel so knowledgeable in his word and I, I just feel so empowered and strengthened because I didn't just hear it I felt like it was explained to me it was imparted to me and I just drunk it in she said I just you know it wasn't the milk of the word it was the meat of the word and she says but I just I just loved it she says I just I just feel so uh, empowered to just you know plug on through, you know, this, this hardship that I've been enduring with my, with my body. And she said, you know, uh, I grew up in the church just like you, Tammy, but she says, I think that where I am right now, they've fallen away from giving instruction to people and, and really delving into the word deeply and getting into the meat of it. She says, I always get the milk, but I'm not getting the meat. And she said, I just so appreciate the fact that I was able to come and benefit from the conversations, uh, from the the ministry of the pastor. She said it was through a ceremony, but it was very powerful. And then the time that we had with prayer, there was some prayer as well. And so I wanted to leave that with all of you because sometimes I think we forget how truly blessed we are. And you know, I'm talking to someone who has been a Christian all her life. And she just said, you, you don't know how lucky you are to be where you are and to have a pastor that cares about each and every one of you because that also surfaced. And I said, you know, we try to grow everybody in the Lord and we try to find a place for everybody in the church. And I said, more importantly, we, we, we're all intercessors, but that's, that's one of our jobs. And she said, yes, and she said, you know, we've, fallen away from that where we are and she said and I said well Michelle it only takes one and you can turn that you know in your church but I just wanted to share that with you because these are the very things in this last part of your lesson that she was talking to me about now she shared some of it while she was here but we've had some really long conversations on the phone and uh, she is following us on our website and, and listening to some of pastor's teachings and she may be listening right now to this Sunday school lesson. It's a possibility. So, uh, you know, that really blesses me, but I wanted to share that with you. Now, I know she didn't talk to all of you, but she said I could just, 
she said, I didn't have to be in the sanctuary. I could be in, in your youth room or I could, could have been downstairs, but she says, I could just feel it on people and I felt it all around me. I just, I just felt so encouraged and uplifted in the Lord. You know, it just empowered me so much. And she says, it wasn't always the words, it was the actions of the people as well. So I think God. we take for granted what we have. Yeah. And plus, anytime you live with blessing, you don't really, you're just accustomed to that atmosphere. You're accustomed to the presence of the Lord, and therefore you don't, it's not that you're not acknowledging His we presence We welcome it, yes. But I don't think we recognize because of what's, it's almost like we've become what is here, so we just fit into it. But when someone comes in from the outside who has not been, you know, kind of indoctrinated or is existing in that, it's very apparent. Especially if they're a seeker. I don't know that everyone feels that. They may feel good. They may like where they are, but not recognize why it is they feel that way. But obviously she is a sincere seeker, even if she is in a different place of, of development. You know? But anyone who's seeking is, God's going to reveal himself that oh, way. Yes. He I, wants yes. them to know there's more. Yes, yes. But we have something so precious, and I think we don't always recognize how precious it is. That's an amazing. No, no I agree. That's I an agree amazing testimony. I'm encouraged to hear that. Yes, and think about us as, as a body. I mean, she was here with the body. You know, I mean, you know, she talks to me. She's with me. She's with my husband. But she was talking about how strong it was when it was all of us. You know, she said, oh, I could just feel it. It was just everywhere. So, praise God. Pretty cool. So, thank you. Answer man. He's the answer man. Did you hear that, Scott? Just hold on to that question. Thank you, everybody. You're all dismissed. Hey.